Um, but anyway, Exodus is what we've been talking about, and Exodus is part of this great story of God's people, the great story of what God has done in the lives of people. It's situated in the Old Testament. It's the second book, and it is one of the most important stories. And this morning, we're talking particularly um, from Exodus chapters 5 to 15, kind of in there, 5 to 14. I chopped off the last one. We'll get it next week. Um, but it, it's important because actually this story that we're talking about, which is um, the plagues and being led out of, the Israelites being led out of Egypt, was referenced, oh, oh my clicker isn't clicking, uh, parent of child X2 G5, please go to treehouse, your child is crying. Maybe it'll click now, no? Oh, woo! Oh, now too much. I got spicy with my clicker. Okay, so the story of the uh, Israelites being led out of Egypt has been referenced in Scripture over 75 times in the Bible. 75 times does God say, I am the God who led you out of Egypt. Remember when I led you out of Egypt. See, when I led you out of Egypt, this thing happened. And so we know that if this story is something that God over and over goes back to as a marker of defining who he is in relationship to his people, it's extremely important that we figure out why. Why this story? Of all of the miracles that God did in the Old Testament, why was this one so important? And part of the reason is because this story has something in it for so many different parts of our lives. It's not just about the action of being led out of slavery. It's about what happened in the process. Processes are incredibly important. Imagine how good this story would be. I mean, those of you who are familiar with it, and for all of us, we'll talk about it together, but if it was just they were in slavery, then they said a prayer, and God delivered them, and they were no longer in slavery, and that was it. And that's the whole story. It wouldn't be as powerful, right? It wouldn't be as exciting if there wasn't plagues. It wouldn't be as impactful if there wasn't, you know, Moses putting his hand up and the Red Sea splitting. The process of deliverance is as important as the promise. And that's true then, and it's true now. It's true that the processes that God takes us through are just as important as the freedom he promises at the end. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just look at this passage, this kind of big chunk, as it was intended, as a story. But I'm going to ask that as we do that, you find yourself in the story. Find the places and the people and the characters that feel similar to things that you feel. And so kind of instead of just as a story like we tell kids, a story that asks the question, how do I fit in God's big story? How is he repeating some of the processes he took the Israelites through in my life? All right, let's pray. Father God, we confess everything we are and have is because of you. That we need you to become the people 
that you've made us to be. We need you to know you. We ask that you would open our hearts, Father God, and that we would receive you this morning in a way that is changing the fabric of our lives for ourselves, for the people around us, and for the generations that come after. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so there's three kind of sections in this story you'll notice as we go through. There's the preparation for what God's going to do. There's the plagues, which is the fun, spicy section. And then there is the promise at the end. So we're going to back up just a little bit from the plagues and all of that stuff to where Dwight left off last week, which was the burning bush, right? So remember last week, Dwight's talking about the burning bush and this dramatic call on Moses' life and how God chooses Moses and there was the Nile and all the stuff. And, and this was a huge moment. And I think that Moses' response to this beautiful moment was fascinating. And I didn't quite realize it was as good until I was rereading it for this message. So if you'll just indulge me for a minute, we're going to switch between notes and Bible a few times. So if you want to follow along for yourself, um, we're starting in Exodus 4, and we're just going to kind of trail through. Um, All right, so big burning bush, right? Moses, I am God, right? Charlton Heston, he's called. Oh my gosh. Listen, if I'm walking down the path, and something lights on fire, and the voice of God comes out of it, I'm going to assume that this is for me. But this is what Moses says, because he's my favorite. So this big, this is what you're going to do, and there's going to be these signs and wonders and amazing things. And Moses says this, because he's fantastic. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. Neither in the past nor five minutes ago have I ever become eloquent, O oh dear God. I'm slow, of, uh, I'm slow of speech and tongue. So a lot of experts, a lot of people, just regular folks even, we, we tend to draw from this, and it's very possible that Moses had some type of speech impediment, right? So he says this to God, which is a fair response. If God's saying like, hey, you're going to go up against, you know, the mightiest guy in the whole area, and you're going to tell him, and and he's going to believe you. If you're a stutterer, it is fair to bring this up at that time. But so God's like, don't worry about it, Moses. I'm the God who gave you speech. I'm going to make this work for you. And this really inspiring, beautiful thing in chapter, in verse 11 And this is Moses' response. But Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. As soon as I saw this, I'm sitting in my office, I laughed out loud, and I was like, that might be my favorite verse in the Bible. That's fantastic. Talking about seeing yourself in the text, I was like, yes, that is I. (laughs) Here I am, Lord. (laughs) Pardon your servant, Lord, burning bush. Please, please send someone else, literally anyone else. And I was identifying with this verse a whole lot until I got to the next one. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And I was like, oh, <laughs> just kidding. That's not me, God. I don't, I don't, feel, I don't feel like that. That was Moses. I, I, don't, I don't do that thing. Uh, 
you know, it's this thing because we're called into areas we're not qualified for. Isn't that right? Was Moses qualified to go give some big speeches to the Pharaoh? No, he was not. But often the call of God comes before the qualification. God rarely calls us when we are at our biggest, most fancy selves. Um, when I, so I graduated from Cleveland State um, with my undergrad in English literature. Big literature, kind of buff. Uh, literary analysis is my jam, it's my favorite thing. I mean, give me a stack of books and a weekend in silence and I'm like the happiest girl in the world. But at the same time that I was going to school there, I was working here part-time as the director of children's ministries. And it's these things, how you know how God like, turns your heart in ways that you don't want him to? So my plan was actually to be an English professor. And so I had, had it all mapped out. I had like a 4.0. Like this was my, my jam. And it had been my dream for a long time. But the more I started working here, the more like my heart just like burned for this place the more I just like loved it, obnoxiously loved it. Like I would get like so excited, Tuesdays were my day in the office, I would get so excited on Tuesday mornings getting ready because I got to come here. And it was obviously this thing that God was doing in my life. And then I met, went to meet with my advisors right before graduation, just like a month before, and she was the meanest lady ever. And she was like, listen, you can be an English professor, but I'm just letting you know that you're going to have to move to the East Coast. Do you have children? And I was like, yeah, I have a little tiny baby. Audrey was like maybe eight months a year. And a little toddler. And she's like, good, because you will have no more children because you will not have time to have more children. You and your family are going to uproot and move probably every two years. You will never live near your family. And you will make no money. And you will go work wherever they will hire you. And that's your life. And we had just moved from India like two years before. And my children were like, my oldest daughter was just becoming comfortable with white people because she grew up in India. So the thought of ripping these little babies out of their family and moving around the country was like unconscionable. So I like sobbed all the way home and for like a week, like, oh my gosh, this is my whole plan. God, what am I gonna do? I, I just, it, I was wrecked because I, I thought I had, God had this plan for me and it turned out it was completely incompatible with the life I knew he had called me to, which was to be a good mom. And then someone here was retiring and there was this position open and it was full-time, do administration, and Dwight mentioned it to me and as soon as he did, it was like everything inside my spirit jumped like, absolutely, this is the call of God. But it included overseeing the finances. I don't have a finance background. And I love this place way too much to do something I'm not qualified to do and to hurt it. And so my initial thought was, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. But I, I felt the sense of calling so hard that I was like, okay, God, I'm not qualified, but I'm called Maybe the qualification is something you and I need to do in order to walk out the calling. Because qualification is not a prerequisite of obedience, it's something we pursue out of obedience. 
if God calls you to work with people who struggle with addiction, but you don't have any information of how to do that, you don't just say, well, I'm not qualified. You say, where can I get training? What do I do? And God blesses the process of qualification. And so what I did was I called Cleveland State and I said, hey, I'm an alumni, I just graduated, and, um, and I need to take a master's level class on financial, uh, on, on doing the finances of a nonprofit. And they're like, we have a class, it's called Financial Control of Nonprofits. And I was like, yes, I need it in this class. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, we were gonna run it, but we just decided to cancel the class. But I'm called, so I'm gonna get qualified, because qualification is my response to the call of God on my life. So I drove down to Cleveland State, and I walked into the college I needed to be in, and I went up to the dean's office, and I met with the dean, and I said, hi, my name's Rebecca Kearney, I need to take this job, but I'm not qualified for it, and I need this class, and I need you to help me. And she said, absolutely, we'll open the class. This is not my shining personality coming through. This is my God who has called me, partnering with the dean to ensure my qualification. This is God qualifying me, partnering with the people here on earth. So the dean walked me down to the bursar's office and said, I need you to open the class right now, and I need you to register here while, her while I stand here and watch you. And I was registered for the class, and I took it. I totally felt good about it, and I was able to engage in the job within two months. Because my God qualifies who he calls. Amen? Amen. So back to the, back to the story. So here's Moses' response. Not good. Bless your heart. So this is what God does. He's like, all right, I will bring in Aaron, your brother, to speak. Smart. Good job, God. What I like about God here is he's compassionate about Moses' disability. Do you notice that too? This is really compassionate of God to bring in Aaron to help out. So he brings in Aaron, that's really good, and then they gather the, uh, the elders from the Israelites, and no, Moses was nervous about how the Israelites were gonna receive him, right? I mean, he had grown up in the house of Pharaoh. He didn't have as good a relationship, and he had kind of like been in exile for a while due to a little skirmish situation, right? Where he had, you know, <clears throat> murdered someone. So they, he and Aaron, they met with the elders. They give the message. They do the signs, and things are going really good. And then there's actually this like beautiful little aside that I just love. I'll take it out of here, actually. This is really wonderful. So they, they gather all the people together. And remember, these are people who have lived in slavery for a long time. They've been oppressed for 400 years. They were hurting. And this is, and this is what, uh, so Moses, they give him this message. God's going to deliver you. And it says this in verse 31. It says, and they believed. The Israelites believed Moses. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, when they saw the Lord had seen their misery, they worshiped. As I was working on this this week, I felt the Lord say, 
there is someone in your community, maybe a few someones, who need to be reminded that the Lord is concerned about you and that the Lord sees your misery. You are seen by the Lord. That you didn't just come in here for no reason this morning. But you're here because he's concerned about you. He's not worried like you're going to screw it up. He just cares a lot. So if that's you, I, I just, I just want to kind of pause for that. He's concerned, and he, and he sees your misery. So they bowed down, and they worshipped. Okay, so things are going good. The elders came, Aaron's there, they gave the message, everything was really good. I mean, there was this beautiful prophetic moment where he brought this word, the people bowed down and worshiped God. Everything was trucking along just fine for our friend Moses. Except then when they got to Pharaoh, it was an absolute disaster. Not only did Pharaoh not hear them, not only did he not set them free right away, but then he also made the workload for the Israelites more difficult. He said they couldn't have straw to make their bricks, but they had to make the same amount of bricks. They had to work just as hard. And the people were furious with Moses. This is what they said. It's real sweet. Nice and supportive. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So stepping out in faith for Moses was a bit of a bummer the first time. It didn't make his neighbors appreciate him. Good, great, fantastic. So then Moses says to the Lord, Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on these people and you have not rescued your people at all. My favorite is the at all there. Not even a little bit of rescue. And you know, it's easy to be a little judgy of Moses, but if I had like had this burning bush experience and I had gotten over my insecurities and these signs and wonders had happened and not only had nothing happened, but things got worse and then the people I'm trying to help turn against me, I would perhaps also feel spicy with the Lord. And isn't life sometimes so disappointing? Isn't walking with God sometimes so disappointing? I think it's totally okay in church that we can say sometimes life with God is disappointing. Sometimes the things that we think are going to happen because we turn our lives over to God and they just don't. And things don't work out and sometimes they even get worse. And it feels like what was the point anyways? You know, like you, you hear a good message at church or whatever, and then you try to take the high road with somebody, and then it blows up in your face, and you're like, what was the point? What was the point of trying to, like, do this God's way? Or you, like, try to be, like, really good to your wife, right? You, like, you know, you talk to some Christian friends, these men, and they're, like, just, like, loving their wives, and they're serving them, and they're laying their life down, and you do that for your wife, and she just kind of, like, snarky back. You're like, what was the point of that? Or like, you know, you're trying to be there for somebody and, and trying to be like a good friend. And you're trying to be like the love of God incarnate here on earth. And they just like disregard your care. Or things in your life just get worse and you thought God was like going to bless you. And, and it can be disappointing. 
It was definitely disappointing for Moses. It's like, God, I, I did my part. Nothing's working. This is what God says to Moses. Then the Lord says to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. What is interesting in this verse? God says, because my mighty hand twice. He's saying, Moses, I'm going to deliver these people, but it's not about you. This was never a story about Moses. This was a story about God. This was never a story about Moses performing well enough for God to intercede on the behalf of the Israelites. It was the story of God meeting his people because of his great love, not because of Moses' ability. Our lives are not ordered by God because we are so good and kind and humble and worthy. It is because of God's mighty hand that he is going to bless us, not because we were kind enough or good enough. We're kind and good because we're obedient to the Lord, because he asks us to put first others, because he asks us to love others, and we obey. But he's not blessing us because of that. He's blessing us because he is a God who blesses. We can't be humble enough to earn the blessings that we have uh, been entitled to, right? I mean, your kids, parents, did your kids' Christmas presents correlate to their good behavior this year? Indeed, they did not. And perhaps for some of them, it is a good thing that is, in fact, the case. It was out of your riches, that you blessed your children because of who you are. We are not blessed. We are not favored. We are not entrusted with more of the Holy Spirit because we have earned it through our good behavior. It is because of out of his riches and goodness, God pours forth his blessing because he is who he is no matter what we do. And thank God for that. Because I haven't earned a thing And I doubt you have either. We also note that we are in chapter 6. When we're talking about disappointment with God, Moses was complaining in chapter 6. Deliverance happened in chapter 13. And church, if you're feeling disappointed because your marriage isn't working out the way you want it to work out, your parenting isn't working out the way you want it to work out, your friendships, your careers, your callings aren't working out the way you want it to work out, maybe you're in chapter 6 and deliverance is in chapter 13. We are in a process. But if Moses had given up here, which if I was him, I would have been tempted to do, then we would have never seen the deliverance of God made manifest in the lives of the Israelites. And those 75 times of reminding them of who God was would not have happened 
It is faithfulness in the process, trusting God that even though we don't see it yet, that doesn't mean it's not coming. So we're moving from the preparation to the plagues. God says something really interesting here. Talking to Moses about the plagues, he says, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And that's fascinating because God's plan here wasn't just to deliver Israel. It's easy to think it is. But his plan was also for the Egyptians. Because Pharaoh was one guy. Some of the bad officials were a few guys. But this was a whole nation who was watching what God was doing. God's plan was for the whole world. God's plan wasn't even just for them at that time. It's for us now. They will know I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand. So here's the list of plagues. It's the fun, spicy part. So here, um, it's interesting. So a bunch of scholars, actually, have this whole kind of plan where they figured out that each of the plagues corresponded to an Egyptian god. And so for them, these specific plagues meant something. They meant that God controls that. So the Nile turning into blood, there was a god of the Nile, and so the idea here is that by turning the Nile into blood, God exerted dominion. So there's the Nile, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the locusts, the death, and then the death, or darkness, the death, and the firstborn. Now, I, I don't know if that's, you know, real or whatever, but I think it's, it's a little close. Either it's true, or it's not conjecture. And it probably meant something. At least some of them meant something. If you're one of the gods you worship has the head of a frog, and the god of the Israelites can send bajillions of frogs all over every part of your life, it's a not a hard jump. But it's not in the text. It's just an interesting conjecture. There's also something uh, else that's kind of interesting, too. Um, when, when the plagues happened, uh, the, particularly the one, the hail one, the hail's going to come down, and everybody who's outside is going to get killed because of the hail. God actually warned the Egyptians, and that was the only one he did that for. But I just think it's interesting. We see kind of a little thread of mercy for the Egyptians in here. That God wasn't just kind of wiping out the nation or, you know, coming at the nation. But I, I thought that was kind of a, was a nice little thing for God. Thanks, God. You're kind. All right. So there's, there's the things. It's interesting, too, Pharaoh, you know, it's easy to think of Pharaoh as just like the villain in the story, which he is, absolutely. But Pharaoh was there for a purpose. And this is what God says to Moses, or to Pharaoh through Moses. But I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Again, Pharaoh is there to do what he's doing, but also the whole point of this is that so God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. This isn't just about Pharaoh. This isn't just about Moses. This is about God revealing himself to all of the earth. So the plagues are over. Pharaoh has told them to go. 
like, finally, it's enough. He kept threatening, you know, they would do a plague, and he'd be like, okay, let, let, let us up from the plague, and I swear you can go. But then, of course, he'd, you know, go back on his word, no, no, it's fine. And then, as soon as, you know, the flies go away, he's like, just kidding. But then, finally, after the death of the, his firstborn, he said, that's enough, you can go. And so they're talking about Passover. They're talking about this, this holiday, this feast of remembrance that, he wants, that God wants the Israelite people to do. And the importance of the feast. And you're going to do these things to remember what I did and to remember who I am. And he says this, In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, our deliverance isn't just about us. And it's not just about the people around us. It's about the generations that come after us. Your sobriety isn't just for you. Your sobriety is so that 20 years from now, when you're in a meeting and you say you have 20 years, a guy who is on day one can look at you and know that it's possible for his life to be different from the life that he has seen from his father and his father's father and all of his friends. Your sobriety is for him. When you're parenting and you choose to lean into love and not anger like you've seen modeled for you, and you change the generations after you, it's not just about you defeating your anger. It's about you defeating your children's wounds ahead of time. When you decide to step into someone's life who's having a hard time and get over your own fears and anxieties, it's not just about you defeating anxiety. It's about them being able to, five years from now, step into the life of someone else who needs it because you have shown them it's possible. When you go to therapy, even though it is hard to overcome your own insecurities, it's not just for you. It's so that your children can tell their children that grandma changed this family's life because she got healthy. Our victories aren't just for us. They are for the generations that come after us. They are the ripple effects that change the course of history. Passover is the way that they remembered what God did in ways that have changed the world thousands of years. So the people, uh, so what happened is they do the stuff, they get ready to leave. And this is interesting. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country, although that way was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. You know, God is not the God of shortcuts. We talked about how, you know, you might be wondering where your deliverance is in chapter 6 and deliverance is in 13. God doesn't shortcut that process because he knows things we don't know. He knew that they needed to just walk and rest. That they were not in the place to go to war. They had been enslaved for hundreds of years. They had endured all of this crazy stuff. They were leaving everything they knew. This was not the time to go to war. And sometimes we like a shortcut. You know, we'll just have the hard conversation, but we're not going to pray first. You know? We'll just come at the person who's in conflict with us without stopping to think 
of what's going on in their heart. Or we'll just, you know, not want to get therapy or not want to go to a meeting or not want to ask, you know, the people in our lives, hey, that conflict was hard. Help me understand what's going on here. I, I probably did something wrong. We want a shortcut, but God knows that, that that's not the way. God is found in the process, and he met the Israelites in the process. 1318 even actually goes on to say that they were ready for war, like they thought so. They were like geared up, but God was like, the God who stands in our tomorrows knows where we should walk, and that wasn't it. So God placed before them um, a pillar of cloud to guide them during the day and a pillar of fire by night, and neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And isn't that so like God? Even in the wilderness, he remains with them. Even in the desolation, even when, I mean, think, there was no road signs then. Like, put, put yourself in the middle of, like, the Mojave Desert, and all you see is sand. And you're like, God's going to deliver me, I swear. He had a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And this is God. This is how God does. Here's other places in the Bible where he does stuff like that. Isaiah 30, 21, there will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way to go, walk in it. Deuteronomy 31, 16, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Jo Joshua 1, 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You can be in the most dark wilderness of your life, but if you look close enough, God has sent you a pillar of fire to guide you. If you stop long enough to look. God doesn't leave us alone, even though it seems like it. So eventually, they camp beside the sea. The Egyptians catch up thousands and thousands, and the Israelites are trapped, which is crazy. If I was an Israelite, all this stuff happens, and I'm trapped by the sea. I can't get out. They thought it was a problem. This is what they said to Moses. They're so supportive. That's a trend. Poor Moses. Anyways, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? How sweet. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? After all Moses did, are you kidding me right now? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Holy smokes. First of all, if you have experienced ungratefulness in your life, not as bad as Moses. So let's just get that out of the way. But also, here they are on the day of their deliverance. This is moments before the splitting of the Red Sea. And this is where they lose faith. And church, sometimes when we want to lose faith, sometimes when we have lost faith, it's moments before the deliverance of God. Moments before the deliverance of God. Moses answers the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see you again. The Lord will fight for you, and you need only be still. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Stand firm. Do not be afraid. You will see the deliverance of our God today. You need only be still. 
And so if we know the story, what happens next is God tells Moses, put your hand up over the sea and raise your staff. And he does it. And the waves go, and they form two columns of water. And the Israelites walk in faith in the middle of the sea, believing that the God who said he was going to deliver them would come through in this moment. And after they walked through, the Egyptians did. And he put his hand up again. And the waves crushed over the Egyptians, and the people were saved. Will you stand with me? This morning, we reflect on the processes that God is leading us through. But I'd like to challenge you to see yourself in this story. Are you Moses, where God's calling when you're like, find someone else. I'm not qualified to do the thing that you're calling me to do, God. Are you the Israelites? You, you, need, God, you need God to be concerned about you. You just want God to see your pain. You just want to be seen by the Lord? Or are you having kind of a Moses moment where you're disappointed? This life hasn't turned out the way you thought it was going to be. Following God wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Or are you just kind of finding yourself in a place where you're like, God, I, I just need you to come through. I need to be still and I need to believe that I will see the deliverance of the Lord. I need to believe that you will use me to deliver others, that my life isn't just, just a vapor, that I'm not just here for no reason, that I can be something in your kingdom, I can do something, that what I've gone through, the things I've experienced aren't a waste. So Jeremy and the team are gonna play a song and we're gonna invite the prayer team to come now. And I'd like you to spend some time during this song reflecting where you are in the story and what God's response is. And if, if there's a response that you want someone to pray with you for, I'd like to encourage you to come up and receive prayer because the deliverance of God is here for you. Or if you're in the middle of the waiting, you don't wait alone. You wait with your brothers and sisters. You wait with people who love you, who care about you, who believe in you.